A healthy workplace is good for business. We share things you can do to make your workplace a happier place in this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Happy Now. I am your host, J.R. Houston. Pleased that you are joining us once again, wherever you are in the world, however you may be listening. We are thrilled that you are making us a part of your day. We also ask that you make Live Happy Magazine a part of your day, at least uh, every couple of months when the new issue comes out. If you pour through it on the first day, you can always reference it back, so maybe you can make it part of your everyday. You can get it in print form. It is available wherever fine magazines are sold. You can also buy a subscription to the magazine. You can also get a digital edition of the magazine that's available in the Google Play Store and the Apple Store and is available on your Android or Apple devices, whether they be tablets or phones. You can get it there and you can take it with you wherever you go. Plus, that digital edition has all kinds of special features. Now, we like to talk about happiness in the workplace because that is where a lot of us spend our waking hours. Lee Stringer is a workplace design specialist, writer, and researcher who works for EPY, which is an architecture, engineering, and building technology firm, and they specialize in sustainable, healthy, high-performance buildings. She's got a book out, The Healthy Workplace, and it looks at how to improve the well-being of employees in an office environment. Well, Lee, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the program today. One thing that I, I I find very interesting is your Facebook page, The Healthy Workplace, has over a 1,000 followers. People are talking about this with us. They're reading your book. Why do you think there's such an interest in the topic of making workplaces healthier? <laughs> well, probably because uh, there is a cost to our, our health uh, in the United States in particular. It seems to be um, a big deal in businesses, and there's a lot of, a lot of impact to the bottom line and, um, and to overhead. And so that is, has been a trigger. Uh, I think also just a global awareness that we're all working a ridiculous amount of hours and really hard and doesn't and you know, losing out on time with our families and lots of other things that we want to be doing and a lot of people I've met anyway have been questioning um I'm working hard could I be working smarter and I think that's way. Yeah, that's definitely something that we're always looking for, too, and that's kind of our motto around here. And you mentioned the bottom line. We're not talking about necessarily the insurance costs, right? A lot of companies are offering health insurance. We're talking about having a healthier and happier workplace has been shown study after study to increase productivity as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite studies is uh, a series of studies actually looking at companies who invest in the health and well-being of their employees who are really doing exceptional programming and comparing those to uh, the S&P 500 and the performance of those companies. And it's a pretty dramatic difference. <laughs> um, it's kind of kind of interesting how that happens, how yeah. it's not just saving costs, but actually um, 
giving people energy and motivation and engaging them, getting them excited about um, what they're doing. It's, it's more than health, of course, but um, health is a direct impact, uh, certainly directly influences performance. Why did you feel yourself gravitating towards this area of study? What inspired you to not only write the book, but just study this subject? Uh, Being really stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) I was working for um, uh, a really important client. I'm an architect, uh, workplace consultant, and I was working for this big, really important global client. And um, the market was turning a few years ago, and we lost some good employees because things were good and people were moving around, all great. But um, I found myself juggling three or four jobs, working 80 hours for weeks, months at a time. And I just, it's never happened to me before. I've always been able to push through, but I really hit a wall. I, I was just so burnt out, and my family was not happy with me. And my friends never saw me. It was, um, it was not a good time. And I just thought, oh, I can't. For the first time, I can't do this, so I, um, I can't, can't push through. So I took a, a sabbatical and started writing, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to research on how people work more effectively. I'm going to really dig, dig deep into this, and if it's only an audience of one, that's fine. <laughs> if it's just me, they get something out of this. But the great news is it's been really helpful um, to share this information with lots of people um, about what great companies are doing, what individuals can do um, to really boost their energy and performance and happiness at work. And um, it's been um, a really interesting ride and a great one. I like how you were able to incorporate, and we'll get to this in a minute, but I just want to mention, I like how you incorporated architecture and design and, and how that can actually play uh, into happiness as well. Was that something that surprised you during your research? Or I'm sure there were a lot of things that, that surprised you as you were as you were putting this together. So many things. You know, in architects, we're, we're trained to know a little bit about human behavior and how it's um, spaced and mm-hmm. physical elements in your environment, you know, in the city, in your house, in your buildings, really influence people. But um, when you really dig deep, there's some very dramatic ways that, um, that we are influenced and shaped by our, the cities, you know, the, the spaces around us. And so, yeah, I learned a lot more about that along with, along with lots of other surprises. Um, one of the interesting uh, little tidbits I always love to throw out is there are certain smells that actually make you more productive in mm. your environment, um, and those are lemon and, uh, well, lemon's a big one. Sure. And sometimes peppermint. Peppermint is the second uh, based on mm. uh, scientific studies. Interesting. So, and also, not so those are not so offensive either. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. You're saying smells that are like, oh, some people like, some people don't, but um, those are those are pretty good. So, um, yeah, I think uh, other other things that you know in the built environment, there are all kinds of nudges um, that uh, that the environment will will send to us. And a big one, and this is kind of more civic, I guess, in nature. But the closer you are to a metro or to public transportation, the more mm. likely you are as in four times as likely to actually get in your 10,000 steps a day. Oh, wow. So think carefully about where you live or where you choose (laughs) to work um, because it really does have an impact. Once you get in that car, you lose all those steps, um, which we're all obsessively checking on our Fitbits. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have a bus stop here nearby, so I think we're good, right? Yeah, we're good. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of people, and we talk about environment, and we talk about, you know, the architecture and those things. What is the connection between how the buildings are designed and people's well-beings? So lots of different factors. I think um, one of the big 
factors is uh, how your your workplace is organized and your ability your ability to move around to stand up and work to sit down and work or just to move from place to place I think a lot of workplaces are set up so that you are only really able to function and get your work done by sitting down cro magnet style on <laughs> your computer right uh, and that is turns out the least creative posture uh, you know if you want to talk posture but also um, the uh, the least healthy uh, way to, to work for long periods of time so being able to get up and move around and and stand and work in one area and sit and work in another and um, be able to get outside. One, uh, one interesting study uh, we found with our own office, we've been working with um, Harvard School of Public Health and doing some studies looking at uh, my own company's offices, which are spread around the country. Hmm. And one of the things that we found was there was a direct correlation between whether there was green space or, or places to, to move around and pleasant places outside to walk. Um, and how uh, much exercise people got. Interesting. Um, so uh, it, it really, it's, you know, again, that's, that's similar to the subway thing, just having places uh, that are pleasant to walk around and amenities or a park, green space in particular, is really, really good. Um, it's very restorative. And um, you see architects and interior designers and lots of others using uh, what they'll call biophilic elements, biophilia. It's a new term, but it's actually been around a while, um, but being huh. used, used a lot more today, which is our preference as people to be in and among nature. And it can be yeah. actual nature, like being outside in the forest or, you know, walking around a park, but it can also be um, uh, nature brought indoors and or things that mimic nature, like, oh, that's green. It kind of looks like a plant or, <laughs> you know, those columns, it kind of looks like a tree. Um, psychologically, uh, we find that very restorative. Um, and, you know, other elements are on that same vein or are um, really natural materials. I think that is also um, very, very pleasant. And I had an environmental psychologist tell me that there's this 43% rule. So anytime you go into a space and if 43 percent of the surfaces are natural and not just painted drywall right, right. But materials that look like you'd find in nature uh, they're much more psychologically restorative so interesting, interesting fact mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting you can kind of trick yourself into into uh feeling more one with nature there so and also it's it's important i think to note too that architecture is 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 important the 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 space that you have but also the space that you're in right like location you're talking about being close to public transportation and green spaces and things that can inspire us that's something to consider when finding office space or building it would would you agree absolutely it's kind of you know it's location 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 right right right. down to that but um there's that that's kind of um that helps you on so many levels and there are a lot of um building certifications now. There's one called FitWell. There's another one called the Well Building Standard. And when you look at the criteria around uh, any one of these, these standards that, that say, you know, how healthy your building is, location is a big part of it, um, as well as physical attributes. You know, is there signage to encourage people to use the stairs? Is there healthy food displayed? Um, and just how, how you're operating your space and how you're encouraging uh, people to to move around, eat better, um, stress less. <laughs> yeah. Um, go and um, actually, one of the biggest benefits um, that one of the the CDC has been working on a tool called Fitwell uh, that we've been experimenting with, and uh, one of the most beneficial things you can do in your office from a health outcomes perspective is actually put in a lactation room, 
which is for you know obviously for young moms. Right. Um, but uh, there's all kinds of benefits to doing that from, um, and they they value that based on you know, a whole series of longitudinal and other sorts of studies uh, that have validated that this is this is really important. So um, huh. anyway, there are all kinds of wonderful tools and lists out there for for uh, all of us to take advantage of and, when we have the opportunity. And, and things that you wouldn't have thought of, of course, I being a male who who does not uh, possess the capability to do that, I'm designing an <laughs> office. I'm not probably thinking about those things, but you mentioned it, and there's a young mother in our office that would probably love to have the opportunity to have one of those things. That's <laughs> Well, think of it this way. Uh, when you think about the millennials, which every, you know, customer, yes. every client I have we is must. very interested in, <laughs> 90% of the people who use lactation rooms are millennials. They're the ones having the babies right now. Right. Uh, for the most part, I don't want to generalize too much, but um, but they, you know, those are that's going to keep them in the workforce and keep them working for you. Excellent. That's uh, And those are great things to think about. A lot of people, especially in the creative industry, whether it be our magazine or radio stations or, or what have you, are trending towards the open workspace. Is that something that you subscribe to or is that a controversial thought almost these days? That's <laughs> very controversial. It's so interesting if you take a look back historically and think about the open office space and how it used to, it kind of emerged. Mm-hmm. It used to be, honestly, um, you know, 100 years ago, we had the factory floor, which frankly does not look so different from a lot of the cube farms that I see today. It's kind right. of like we took the factory floor, then we just stuck it in a big office high rise, and um, so rows and rows of desks or cubes or whatever. And um, so it has had, you know, really, it's not a design that works really well. It's very efficient, um, but that certainly doesn't mean that um, it always works. It really, the devil's in the details with these kinds of spaces, and acoustics are huge. We've got to be careful of that. And a lot of, I think the best examples of the open workplaces that I see are smaller team-sized open areas, right? It's like eight or 12 people, but it's not like 100 people out in the open. It's people you trust, people that are part of your team. Um, it's quieter, you know, because there aren't as many people talking. Right. Um, and, um, and also adjacent to those open areas are little places to go run, make a phone call privately or go have a conference call. And, and behavior comes into play a lot. I mean, uh, there's so much bad speakerphone behavior happening oh, man. <laughs> in our offices yeah. today. Um, and, I, you know, I love the speakerphone, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, get a room kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and part of it is um, – so it's hard. It's hard to, to change your behavior at the same time you're changing your space. But that's, that's a really important um, one-two punch in order to get it right. You mentioned changing your behavior and, and changing your space. You know, we talk, we're talking a lot about the environment uh, of the office and the, and the space and the way it's kind of set up. A lot of employees, a lot of people listening to this aren't going to have much control over that, right? Like they're not going to be able to go in and suddenly say, well, we're going to take down all these cubes and then we're going to do the next thing. What can somebody do if they don't have the necessarily the clout to pull off a complete design change to, to make their environment or at least their workspace healthier for them? So a really easy thing to do is to get a plant. It can be fake. 
Uh, fake actually has the same psychological impact as an actual plant in case you have a bug issue, which I do in Georgetown, D.C., <laughs> where I live. Um, but, uh, but it works beautifully. Actually, IKEA has some really inexpensive ones that are awesome. Um, but find um, fi- or use a screensaver. That's another biophilic thing is to find a beautiful landscape or a place that you went on vacation that makes you happy, your happy place, and put that on as your screensaver. Um, uh, find, find ways to, uh, within your own individual area that you can control um, that has uh, increases you know your your um, stress or decreases your stress level I should say um, other things that I've done a lot is um, get really into uh, I'm into the on the stress theme here but reducing um, finding apps uh, that will reduce stress. That I mean, they're five-minute, twelve-minute little apps. I love Budify. That's uh, one that's really it's free, uh, easy to download. Um, there's another one that I've gotten into lately called Brain FM, which is not only good for reducing stress at the workplace and increasing productivity. Actually, I've, I've, there's like another. There are lots of different soundtracks that you can listen to in your earbuds huh. um, while you're working, so you're not distracted. Um, they also have these same applications uh, or same apps will allow you to improve your sleep at night. I use them every night to go to bed. So that's really important. Um, the other thing, another thing to do just, you know, behavior-wise that you can control um, is to get outside. So one of the biggest um, issues around our workplaces today is that they're so dark. <laughs> they're, right. They really are horrible. Like we spend 90% of our days indoors, and we don't um, get our biological clock reset by being outdoors. And there's all kinds of research going into new lighting systems called circadian lighting, which has to do with um, uh, looking at using particular kinds of light waves that only the sun, um, you know, for a long time was able to give us, which basically hits the back of our eye and resets the production or the reduction of melatonin oh, wow. on a regular basis in our body. So um, the natural lighting systems in most office spaces don't work to reset your circadian uh, system. Yeah. You have to go outside, and the earlier and the longer that you can, you know, kind of take a conference call or, uh, you know, get a little walk-in, the better. Like go outside for your morning coffee, um, go outside and, yeah, take a conference call or meet with a colleague. Uh, get outside, particularly before um, 11, oh, excuse me, at, at noon um, is kind of the recommendation. And if you can squeeze it in for you know an hour two hours a day wow awesome you will find your sleep is reset much better it's interesting that you brought up the lighting thing because there's a definite dichotomy in the offices around here the creatives you know the people that are doing this kind of stuff and they're doing the writing it seems to be a little bit darker and any light that's coming in is coming in through the windows and then the people who are doing the business uh they've got like the you know the harsh fluorescent lighting which we all kind of i think i think the creative side we might be half vampire i don't know uh, we might be scared of that uh, very well, harsh I'm lighting. I'm myself. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I appreciate the the need to um, really be able to see your screen really well. All right. Um, and also just to kind of get in the zone and in your flow. But I do think, um, yeah, getting outside from time to time will help you. And I really feel like the backlit nature of monitors today allow us to, to turn up the blinds. You know, we really don't have to have them constantly down. Um, right. You really can get a little more exposure. Now, I should say, um, from a, the circadian rhythm perspective, um, 
you have to sit really close to a window to actually get the benefits of circadian lighting, unless it's artificially created through these new lighting systems. Sure. Uh, because most buildings actually filtered out. <laughs> um, they're yeah. very sophisticated to filter out uh, UV rays and lots of other things, um, and that unfortunately does not really filter through. So um, they're really the choice. You can buy a light bulb as well. That's another thing you can do. Uh, buy a circadian awake light bulb and um, try it out. Just put it on your little task light. You can plug it in just like any light bulb. And um, you can also put a sleepy time light bulb by your bedside. I put it in my kids' rooms. Interesting. <laughs> I, that's that's a good good way to convince them, you know, show them like, or uh, subtly that it's time to, to go to bed. Uh, I've used anything in my yeah any arrow in my quiver. For that. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. gonna say yeah anything in your arsenal. You got a lot of a lot Correct. of folks around here with young kids. That's their number one complaint. All right, it's nine o'clock. You need to go to bed. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about. There's a lot of people. You mentioned millennials, and there's a lot of bosses that kind of understand that. Okay, this is the group that's coming up, and they're our workforce. And they're taking care of them or maybe, as some people say, coddling them a little bit. And they're doing more of these things. But there are a lot of bosses, too, who are just like, well, in my day, we clocked in at 8 o'clock and we drank our black coffee. And then we sat at our desk all day with a pencil and a pad and we made our sales calls. And that's good enough for us. How do you? And we liked it. We loved it. (laughs) Right. How do we convince those bosses to take a a better look at the overall health and well-being of their employees in their workspace? Well, I think you know there's lots of evidence. There's lots of I mentioned the stock price thing, and there's an ROI and health benefits. It's a big deal. I mean, the cost is really pretty eye-opening. And unfortunately, the cost is actually more senior folks. It's, um, you know, folks who are suffering from chronic diseases from all these years of not working so in such a healthy way um, and bad habits spilling over into their personal life too. Hmm. And um, I have noticed a number of leaders, you know, they get it. They really, you know, after a hard conversation about uh, the numbers, uh, there's also kind of anecdotes that come out of like, I know such and such who had a heart attack because they were so stressed out from working so many hours. And, you know, I've had all these chronic issues because of, you know, eyesight issues or, um, or carpal tunnel or all these sorts of things. It comes out for those of us who've been slogging away the wrong way uh, for a long time. And um, I think that sometimes it's, it's personal testimonies or making it real for them as a person um, and, and, uh, someone in their family or someone close to them as well. And that, that I mean, that's, that's the real truth is that we have to start caring about ourselves first because we are the machines that run companies. Right. <laughs> I wish we could say that uh, sometimes that there are things that we could outsource and that, um, you know, that computer robots could do everything, but it really is our, our brain power and our creativity and our innovation that's helping us get through and improve those quarterly results and make things happen. And in the short term, you can crack the whip, right? You can right. make it happen. You can work a bazillion hours. But all the all the anecdotes and all the evidence in the world is showing us that you can't do that forever. There's a point at which um, it's really hard. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I'll just hire new people. I'll fresh meat, you know. <laughs> like, why yeah. do I need to care about these guys? Because um, they're leaving me anyway, you know, in the tech world that comes up a lot. Um, and I think the real truth is that you do have to be competitive. You can't um, really provide nothing anymore. You have to at least have thought about it and have an answer when people say, well, what are you doing on the health and wellness front? Um, because it's uh, becoming such a, 
omnipresent thing uh, from a recruiting perspective, retention, and all the rest. So it's it's really, I mean, you're getting left behind if you don't address it in some way. You mentioned uh, anecdotal cases. Do you have any that you can share maybe with us for some people that would love to just <laughs> take this podcast episode in and say, see, look, this can help? <laughs> Well, um, I think that there are um, – well, there's my own anecdotal case. I'll just say that. Sure. Um, which is that um, as a writer, I am pretty uh, able to measure my productivity pretty well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed is that before I um, – when I was working 80 hours a week and slogging it through, I, um, I was really making a lot of mistakes, and I wasn't very proud of my work. And um, now that I'm kind of finding – I'm actually working 30 hours a week for my company and then uh, writing um, the additional 10 hours on my own. It just kind of fills my bucket um, in terms of being able to research or read or, or stay ahead um, and really think, to have that time to think. And I've never been more productive. I've never gotten covered in press more than, than now. And part of it is because health and wellness is a really big topic, but I like to also think it's because I'm really paying more attention to the work I'm doing and it's better. Um, and it's more prolific. I mean, I'm just coming up with more ideas. It's sure. just like, boom, boom, boom. It's great. And I think that um, it's funny. I was talking another anecdote. I was uh, talking with the CEO of my company, actually, and he came up and he said, Lee, and the biggest compliment, he's like, Lee, I'm reading your book for the second time. I just want you to know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, it's so nice. But he said, no. And two years ago, I um, you know, had a bit of a crisis, and now I bike like a crazy person every morning. And I, you know, sometimes I'll come in later to work because I'm really valuing that um, recharge time and the time I'm getting my energy and my my thoughts together in the morning, and that's really, really critical. There are lots of CEOs I've heard and people in high places who um, share their their testimonials um, with others. Uh, The CEO of Aetna, actually, Mark Bolgini, I never say his name right, Bartolini, (laughs) thank you, um, is one of those people who has done all kinds of stress reduction in his life, and um, he's proven out. Um, not only for himself, but his entire workforce, um, that mindfulness practices have um, improved the ROI of Aetna. And they're huh. an insurance company, so they yeah. sure as heck care about that. Um, <laughs> and um, that's in the healthy workplace. So uh, and there are lots of stories like that. I tried to put as many of those business cases in the book as possible because I realize I'm writing this for people who work for companies, but also for their bosses. Sure, absolutely. And the book, again, is The Healthy Workplace. Uh, what what one thing uh, besides going by the book uh, would you like for folks to take away in terms of health and, and sustainable success? Well, I think that one of the biggest things that I hear from people, it isn't the physical health that's suffering, it's their mental health. They're mm. stressed. They're anxious. And in fact, um, thinking back to that Harvard study I did with my own company, We looked at um, lots of things and found that mental health was actually costing us um, more uh, more per person than physical health by a long shot, by like twice as much. So when we added up days lost due to non-productivity and absenteeism, but also presenteeism, feeling just people coming to work and feeling like, meh. You know, slogging away and not giving it 100%. We added those numbers up, and it was in the millions fast. So I think that um, it's mental health is is, uh, we all suffer from from stress 
we suffer in different ways. Um, you can't always see it, um, but it comes up as, and I, I speak a lot on this topic, and I always have people raise their hands, you know, which they're more affected by. And mental health is always two or more times. People even laugh at how stressed they are yeah. <laughs> in kind of a comic relief kind of way. But I think we really have to address it because it's affecting our performance, affecting our happiness, and we're bringing all that stress home with us at night. So um, you want to, the ideal is to have as much energy coming home at night as you bring with you when you come to work in the morning. And the way to do that is to reduce that stress and to manage your energy through good nutrition and movement and lots of other ways. And, um, but yeah, pay attention, pay attention to that little, little bird in your head who's telling you that, um, you might've had enough or you're just not giving it your best. And, um, you have more, you have more to give this planet and take care of yourself, um, for that reason. Excellent. I, I feel like we have not even scratched the surface of, of what's possible here, what you've talked about in your book. I want to encourage people to go out and buy the book, whether you own the business, you have uh, some sort of uh, control in the business, or if you're just an employee. The book is called The Healthy Workplace. And where is it available? On Amazon and wherever books are sold. Excellent. We always love to uh, to encourage folks to check out their local bookstores as well. Before I let you go, though, there was something we were talking about uh, before uh, we came on here, and that was a new nonprofit that you and so many others are involved with, the Global Women for Well-Being. And as we were talking about it before we came on, there are so many things that that uh, are unique to women in the way they deal with their, their stress and their, their emotional well-being and their mental well-being. And, and you guys are kind of uh, trying to, to work those issues out. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and this is a, a new organization, so we're, we're just hitting the ground racing. There's been a lot of momentum and interest. Um, what we do is we're focused particularly on funding women's health research, hmm. um, particular uh, issues that are related to um, well-being and health and well, well-being, uh, and really funding uh, research projects over the next, um, you know, different ones every year. Um, and one of the big ones that we have our eye on is anxiety and mental health because women are two to three times more likely than men to suffer from mental health and depression um, and anxiety sure. issues. And also just, you know, the NIH is, is uh, historically done more of their studies on male subjects, um, mm. which, you know, makes for great control groups and all kinds of things. But um, it's actually a big deal. And so there's a lot of um, – now it's changing, and we want to jump on that bandwagon. And we also want to just create a network for people who are interested in well-being for themselves, for their organization, um, to be able to connect and learn about the latest thing and, um, and be able to help each other. Excellent. Well, we will love to talk to you and uh, your your uh, colleagues in that much more on down the line. But I wanted to throw that out there for people who might be interested. And I think a lot of our listeners are of the uh, feminine persuasion. So uh, <laughs> I, I, that could be something that a lot of a lot of them are interested in. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk with us again. The book is The Healthy Workplace. She said available uh, at Amazon and wherever uh, fine books are sold. And then you've also got a website, LeeStringer.com. Uh, we'll link to that on our website, LiveHappyNow.com as well. And uh, folks can follow you uh, at String0820 uh, on Twitter. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll look forward to uh, putting some of these practices uh, into, well, practice uh, here in our own office, and uh, hopefully some folks will take uh, some of them away 
uh, from this podcast as well. Awesome. If you'd like some more tips on making your workspace a happier place, you can go to livehappynow.com. That's going to do it for this episode, but if there's something you took away or something you'd like to add or something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, we would love for you to reach out. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy or on Facebook.com slash LiveHappy or just send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For Lee Stringer and everybody here at the Live Happy offices in Dallas, Texas, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you for helping us live happy.